September, we're exploring the notion of the borderlands. For me, this is indicative of that space between life and death where everything has infinite potential. It is the space we touch, in fact, at birth and death and in energy work, deep meditation, extreme joy, laughter, and even pain. This is a space of the shamans and soul journeyers, musicians, writers, and artists. I will say that this entire radio series is dedicated to the borderlands, and for this month, we're really just introducing the concept. So to give you a little more depth into the hows and whys of my starting this show, I'm going to share an excerpt from a journal entry I wrote last Friday night. Quote, So I just came home from an evening out in Moscow for the Portland Cello Project in Jelly Holland. It makes me realize how much I love a combined visceral, cerebral, and visual stimulation. As I sit down to write and muse, I feel like I want to reach out to the world around me and share what I am learning and feeling and show the light I see in so many other humans around the world by speaking to their talents, skills, philosophies, and wisdom, unquote. This paragraph I wrote, this thought pattern and musing, is part of the reason for this show. But of course it is, this show, as varied and multifaceted as life itself. I've spent some time as a musician in the healing arts, as a writer, a mother, a mountain biker. I love to travel the world, and I love to dig deeper in my own backyard. It's like if we dig deep enough, we can connect any part of the world, right? Well, that's what I'm doing right here, trying to find, point out, and enjoy all of the things that connect us for better and worse, and learn from it all. We don't learn in a vacuum, of course. We have to put ourselves out there and take information in, sit back in our psyches and chew. Chew, chew the luscious bites of life we have taken. A night like Friday, I wanted to consume quickly, shovel it into my mouth and take it into my body like the fire I felt it was. Perhaps we can go through our seasons here, together on this show, from reserve to wild abandon, the winter through the summer. There's much to celebrate even in the so-called darker, less savory sides of us. I want to be real, you know. We are these amazing, sensual beings connected by cords of light and life to this infinite source of creation and destruction. Having attended both births and birthing and deaths and dying, I want to honor that brink. To the mother who cries, she wishes she could die in that space before the baby is born, and the grandmother at death who looks at you with the most vibrant life in her soul, It's the blood and guts and the raw living that I love about us all. So I thought maybe, maybe I would begin this first show with a story I wrote some time ago. It might be a little rough and raw for some. I could say that I can't tell anymore exactly what social conventions are in place, and I'm not sure I've ever really followed them anyway. Sometimes I speak in my own town and feel like my language must be the most foreign that anyone has heard. But isn't that the human experience? to never know exactly the thoughts of others and often feel our own selves trapped in perception. Partly, I believe this comes from a world where we are more reserved about touch. As a healing arts therapist, I can say that more is revealed in a single instance of connection through touch than miles of conversation. And as a mother, I know better than to tell my child to feel better. Instead, I swoop my children into my arms and hold until the time to talk and process comes forth. I want to reach out sometimes and just put my hand on the people I meet and understand them in this way. To know, not to try to assess from past logs of cerebral firings that connect to make sense of a person's facial expressions and construct emotion and thought out of preconceived yet necessary notions. 
No, just a touch, like our ancestors, the apes, and our class, the mammals. To get in an instant what another is feeling and resonate with them. We all have the capacity to feel the myriad of universal emotions. And more, I've been some places and seen some things that make me want to hold others in a way that reassures that we are all okay and do not have to be afraid of life, death, and certainly not of one another. So I have spent some time as a hospice therapist as well as as a doula, and I definitely have a strong passion for life and experience in the sensual sides of things. Um, having my own children was a phenomenal experience, no matter you know the the down moments, the hard moments, and the the things that I had to learn along the way. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And the time I've been fortunate enough to spend with those dying has just taught me so much. And so I find myself always on this brink, always sitting in the middle, thinking just how amazing it is, our connection, our connection to one another on all these levels. So this story I'm, I'm going to read to you is called Becoming Flesh, um, and it really speaks to this experience, this experience of what I call the borderlands. This idea, um, for me, the crow as a totem has been a strong presence in my life. Crows are known to kind of resonate in that in-between space, in-between worlds, and I have definitely found a lot of my life lived there in a, in a really wonderful way, in a really wonderful way, touching, touching the now and, you know, touching past and future, what is to come and what has been. Um, and I have met some amazing, amazing people through my life and feel very fortunate to be here in Moscow, Idaho, in a, in a really phenomenal community full of people with incredible ideas and hearts and just reaching out, trying new things, doing um, sustainable agriculture and speaking to sustainability of our planet. And so in that vein, I'm hoping to offer back a little of, you know, how I see the world and uh, what my experiences have been. So here's the story for today. This is called Becoming Flesh. The tide pours into my blood with salt flavor close to my own. One deep breath, I sink into the memory of the interspace created between her body and mine. I breathe again, deep, flavorful. My hands, lightly olive brown for the summer's late sun, have just come from the home of Amoria. She is dying today, maybe tomorrow. I did not know before I arrived at her home that this was so. Her husband greeted me with a smile, forever warm towards me as he has been at each visit in the past three weeks, despite us not knowing one another before she was dying. He is stone, solid, flesh, earth. Salt of the earth, the saying goes, though I would add a little something extra sweet. The visit before this one, he called me into their home from voice from the reaches of a back room. I didn't know who he was until he later came out to sit on the couch. He was a big Idaho man with a bald head and a rotund belly. He had the stern set of worldlessness on his mouth, but his demeanor spoke softly. Amoria and I traveled into bodywork together, talked about hair, and I watched as her husband fell into sleep. The entire family had welcomed me as if I was their own, and I felt the same. I did not know anything of Amoria or her people before our time together in hospice, but it seemed like we had always known this day would be. Her dark hair, graying only slightly for a woman in her 60s, bobbed just above her shoulders. She wore a blue and silver barrette to hold back her full bangs. 
Her body sagged around her in the temporary hospital bed brought in for this time of dying. She held a chocolate donut in one hand, laying flat on her back and enjoying every bite. That was our first visit. Honey, would you like one? She motioned to the donut when I first arrived. I declined the offer. I'd had one for breakfast, in fact, but something in me wished I hadn't so that I could have accepted. Her sweetness was real. She didn't have to have me there. She didn't have to take me in. But she made the space for me anyhow. How could I not help but to feel special and loved? Sitting here now writing, I don't know what I want to say. Maybe it is only to describe the sensations of what I have felt, to honor the being of this woman, of the way my hands have had the opportunity to feel and experience the temporal world, to acknowledge the way the late summer sun settles into my every sense and brings me waves of the ocean. It is fairly publicly unacceptable to orgasm on your own in the middle of the street, drinking a beer and typing on your computer at a coffee shop, but I could. Before, meaning earlier today, before I rode my bike to Amoria's home and said goodbye, I came close to climax with my hands feeling every inch, tension, knowingness in the body of another. This is not to say that I felt innately sexual towards this fellow therapist with whom I was trading massage services or that I wanted more than what we shared. This is to say that the very act of being in that space together stirred the cosmic goodness of connection and the sacredness of pleasure. And if that is orgasm for me, I do not feel ashamed. From inside of my very deepest spaces, at the tip of the vulva where my husband sometimes begins, there is a vibration, soft and sweet, up inside of the vagina to the inner musculature, the round muscles that expand and contract at my will, and of course, sometimes outside of, until the labia themselves grow with the increased blood pulsing, and I know the next step will be my dantian. Into the midst of my very center comes broad, engulfing ways of wetness, pure creation. Part of me suddenly wonders whether I am pregnant again. This is the feeling I get every time. When the universe opens to meet me and I receive, this is the sense I have, and each of my children has been this. Today, sitting here in this chair, I know with two-thirds of my body that I'm not literally pregnant, but the sensations are so strong, so palpable, that the thought it could simply be creation itself building inside of me and not a human being is almost too exciting to contain. To be pregnant with the very essence of creation itself. Now that is something to celebrate. The vibrations travel now up through every cell and tissue of my abdomen. The small intestine settles into peaceful bliss as the parasympathetic system remains slightly unnerved by the stimuli. My liver, despite its moderately stagnant state, is willing to open its ducts further to let the goodness through. This allows further movement into my ribs, up through my spine, ascending into the pleasant pleura of the lungs. Fluid, fluid, every fluid in my body resonates with this vibration. Now my heart, not pulsing, but swimming in the fluid resonance, pours its contents into the vasculature of my arms, fingers, even the nasal passageway, and into my forehead. The heat envelops me. 
In the rising swell of the session with this other therapist earlier today, I wanted to call out to vocally harness the raw edge, but I took another deep breath instead. Breathe. As her body, too, breathed. By the end of the session, I had to ground myself in the cosmic bliss, smiling and laughing at the unexpected pleasure of it all. I knew she was dating a new man, and I prayed that he was able and willing to allow her intense energy to pass through his body so they could both release. I relished in this moment we shared the purity of connection, the purity of pleasure. Is it even possible to understand what I am saying amidst the harsh lines of the current day's edicts? She did. There was nothing taken, everything shared and we were only the children of the universe, smiling. It was from that space that I walked into the open common room of the office building. Several offices shared the upstairs of that old Moscow brick building, a sunroof creating the center. Another therapist with her office down the hall moved towards me without pretense and simply embraced me. Oh, if I would have known before how good your hugs were, I would have come to see you more often, she exhaled upon release. I didn't know what words to use to match this sentiment, but I understood it in every inch of my flesh. I was there in ecstasy. Why would I not share? As a body and energy work therapist, we touch other people for a living. It is amazingly unfamiliar to many. I think of the nape of the neck for each and every one of my children, just how soft and scented they are. Sometimes the sand of the beach the sweat of the day, the musk of deep sleep, but always open and willing to my lips. I smell, I lick, I taste. These are the beings that were inside of me, each their own, but nonetheless made of my blood. I would carve them back into my body if they needed this protection. On the outside, I only have my lips and nose, my tongue and eyes to bring them close, and I do. The stairs were steep in their descent to the doorway. I took three with each inhale, exhaled another three. The stairway corridor was dark, but I saw the light shine off the metal of the old mailboxes to the right of the landing. The wood doors with their glass panels appealed to me and kept the world open. Down the stairs, into the daytime, and over to my bicycle, leaned and locked against a concrete light post. I dialed in the lock number, the same four numbers I've used for everything, and stepped over my bike moved my shoulder bag further onto my back and set off into the sun. My body was weak. I was surprised. The strong energy had worked its way through my system, and I felt the call to lie down and let it complete its course. I did not yet understand that Amoria was dying. The last week, though she could not find relief in the body and energy work itself, she was fully coherent and seemed to find peace in the conversation. We spoke mainly of family, her troubled daughter and the granddaughter, Willow. I hope she figures it out soon, she commented in regards her daughter's lack of direction. But, you know, life will come as it does and they'll be okay. Amoria has this love that envelops them all. I used it to love to have my hair, you know, done, she told me on the first visit, smiling at my shaved head wrapped in a scarf for comfort and, fa- and fashion. All the colors, you know, yeah. Really, I wish my daughter would go to beauty school. It would suit her. The slight infections on, inflections on the vowels reminded me of my own childhood. My grandmother, my cousin, and the Canadian native dialect we all seemed to speak for a while. 
I know that is also in part why I felt and do feel at home in her house. My grandmother, perhaps in part because of the dysfunction in her house, was was always so gone that the details got lost. Never, but she never seemed to mind me there. I could come and go without being noticed. At least, that's how my mother always explained it. No one, said my mom, ever noticed anything. I think what she really meant was that no one ever noticed herself. But I've often wondered whether it was really that everyone in my grandmother's house, my uncles and aunts and cousins, was so used to being in a family that no one could imagine turning family away. Unlike my own mother and father who moved away and found distance and turned their heads on their homes, my grandmother and the rest of her kin never did. Maybe there was, in fact, an acceptance in my grandmother's home that my mother never understood. Regardless, my mother's sense of aloneness in my early years became my standard state of being as well. My parents were generally gone. They were young and trying to get university degrees and keep odd jobs. We lived on student loans and scraps. And what I knew, I discovered myself. I was turned on by life, by every sweet sensation, and by the very fact of being a woman. But then, of course, my youngest brothers were born, and caring for my mother overtook my life. Not only was I now the primary caretaker for the members of my house, but I turned 15, and I was fertile. Each and every egg we release is a birth in and of itself. I'm not a pro-lifer in the political, rhetorical sense, and I absolutely support a woman's choice to do as she needs to do. What I can't deny is the fundamental process of oogenesis as a profound and sacred creative energy. The egg itself grows, expands, and fills space like the engorging tissues of the vulva wanting to burst forth from their fleshy containers. The egg secretes and becomes a fluid bubble of essence, hanging on to the last vestiges of connection to the ovary before taking the final leap into the fallopian tubes, traveling down the pathways to a destination unknown. It is beautiful, metaphorical, and real. The release of the egg is an orgasm in and of itself, but in my house, that was a dangerous proposition. I breathe now again, sitting here at the coffee table when I see I have stopped. My belly is heavy, round, and small, but with a fullness. Again, I hope it is my seed and light coming back into strength that I feel in my pregnant state and not true pregnancy. As a sensation of depth moves from the lining of the cavity of my belly to the very middle and beckons me to follow it down, down, down into my uterus, I am hardly swallowing my phlegm as I hold deep, sacred, wet space inside. My thighs, pressed only at the crevice together, vibrate gently. I want this baby to birth through my opening, feeding every blood vessel and nerve tissue along the way. To let the egg drop. To release. And that is not only the origin of life, but the essence of death. Complete transformation, complete metamorphosis, release. Letting go. The taste is so good. Amoria, she knew it. Her husband, he knew it. Every one of those girls, daughters and granddaughters, knows the sweet pleasure of life. Even the dog in that house that never barked at me seemed to know. They recognized it in me, and I understand it now in them. And I have always been attracted to a man who walks with his energy down low and girls who let it be known they are alive. So Anna sits beside Amoria's bed and tells her she was going to meet her mother. They are best friends, and she drove up today. She knows Amoria through years I can't perceive or imagine, nor do I want to. The memories belong to these women alone as they hold hands and talk about the things Amoria will see when she gets there. Come and for to carry me home. 
day to see her and offer solace, connect to the universe in a way that is not always accessible to others. I leave knowing she is connected in a way that has no need of me. It is such an interesting feeling. Moreover, she is teaching me even from a distance, even from a space that is hers to choose, she is teaching me about the peace on the other side. She is through most of the pain and into the translucent state of the in-between. Her body is still here, I see it. But even there I watch a fine film coat the view as I put my hands on her feet gently and still feel her body jump as I am too heavy. I apologize for disturbing her spirit and lighten my touch. I breathe. I know better than to stay too long. Anna knows her and will hold her until it is time to let go. I thank them both for allowing me to be present at such an exciting time. Of course, I do not call it exciting in person. The only one who is already experiencing it is Amoria. Each member of her family seems to have their own solid acceptance of death, and they know their love for her and can accept. But no one is yet in that space to call it excitement. Except maybe her husband. I can't tell with him. He's a tough cookie, and I still think about just how good he would taste. I don't want him in this way. I don't long for him in this way. I simply acknowledge it is this way. I tip back the last froth of my beer, lick another sip from my lips, and stand to go. Every inch of me is wet with anticipation. She is dying. Her family surrounds her. And rather than sadness, she offered me a quick peek up the skirt of the universe. Luscious, divine lips parted slightly, moistened and supple, tongue-licking the rim, teasing me, whispering from the other side, beckoning. I come as I straddle my bike to begin the ride home. Divine, pure, ripening.